right, notice verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So the title of my message today is Clothed with Humility. Notice that phrase there. It says, Be clothed with humility. Now, what does that mean to be clothed with humility? Well, our, don't our clothes often kind of identify us with certain things? You know, you can often tell where somebody is from based on their clothing, can't you? Whether it be uh, from some other country, you know, there's certain things, and I won't start naming some of these things people wear because then that could be considered racist nowadays too. But, you know, usually, for example, uh, every year we usually go to the uh, St. Patrick's Parade Day parade that they do in Dixon, and uh, it's funny because during that, everybody's wearing green, right? They associate that with Irish, and then there's always the people in the parade, too, that come wearing kilts, okay? Now, first off, St. Patrick was Irish, not Scottish, all right? You know, that's like a Scottish thing, but this is America. We know nothing about culture, and so they, but the thing is, when you see the dude in the plaid skirt, you know, you identify them with being Scottish, right? And often, certain clothing, it identifies people with a certain geography. It often does it with a certain religion. Uh, how many saw Trump's tweet that he did showing um, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer wearing, like, uh, Muslim clothes, right? And everybody threw a big fit about that because, you know, that was, you know, they said that was basically... Uh, discriminating against Islam and Muslim people. I was like, well, why? Just because somebody wears a turban, that doesn't, that doesn't make them Islam, does it? That doesn't make them Muslim, does it? Well, apparently it does. You know? And so the thing is, you know, we're not, it, it's politically incorrect to identify people by their clothing, but we do it all the time, don't we? And one of the things that we are supposed to be wearing as a Christian, we are to be clothed in humility. Now, obviously, humility is not something that we can physically put on, but it ought to be something that is obvious about us. It ought to be something. I mean, the clothing is one of the main things you see on people. It's one of the main things that you notice. And when it comes to one of our characteristics, one of the attributes that we have as a Christian is we ought to have humility all over us. And you would think if anybody in the world was humble, it would be Christians. Because we understand that we are dirty, rotten sinners. We understand that we are completely helpless without Jesus Christ. We understand that we deserve to be in hell with our back broken. We get all that. But yet Christians can sometimes be the most pompous, proud, arrogant people on the face of the earth. And that, there's no doubt about that. And so because, because of that, I think we need to make sure we're careful. We ought to know how to put on this clothing of humility. The Bible often talks about putting on things as Christians. You know, we're supposed to put on the whole armor of God. And that's not something that we do physically. It's something that we do spiritually. We're supposed to put on Jesus Christ. In other words, we're supposed to actively, on purpose, go and try to be like Christ. And humility is something that's probably just not going to come natural to most of us. We've actually got to go and put it on. And we need to know how to put it on. And we especially need to know how to do it in this generation that we live in of narcissists. We are in that generation where men are lovers of them, their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. I mean, that those, the Bible warned that this day was coming, and we are in that day. And one of the things that people ought to notice about us that is going to show that we're Christians is here's some humble people. And you know, the truth is, everybody hates a proud, arrogant person. That's one of the reasons people don't like Trump. You know, Trump is not, doesn't exactly specialize in humility, does he? And most politicians don't. Okay? They, and, but the truth is, you know, people, people appreciate humility. And, you know, here's just a little secret, too. And this isn't really in my notes. And this isn't really a good reason to be humble. But, you know, you can get away with a lot, too, when you're humble. And you know what? That, I mean, that's biblical because God resists the proud but giveth grace to the humble. You, get, you can get away with a lot if you have a little bit of humility and I don't know about you, but I don't want God coming after me all the time. Because if He's coming after me, He's going to get me. So I would rather Him be giving me grace. And if I would have some humility, I would get it. I read a statement years ago that always stuck with me, and I used to say it all the time when I was younger, that if I only had a little more humility, I'd be perfect. And, you know, I, I try not to say things like that anymore because I've realized you can really get in trouble 
for being arrogant. And I don't, I, you know, we don't even want to joke about that kind of thing because it is, it's dangerous. So how do we clothe ourselves in humility? What are some things that we can do? Some things, and we're going to look at some examples in the Bible. And, you know, the Bible says so much about humility. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much Bible there is on humility. I mean, I could preach this message five weeks in a row, all the same points, and use none of the same scriptures. There's, this, that, there's that much scripture on this. I'm just going through, I'm reading all these scriptures on, on humility, and I'm just like, man, which ones do I even use? Because there's just so many good ones. But I'm just going to you know, probably just do one or two for each of these points, because, uh, and I, it's important that you remember these points. You can find stuff about humility all over the Bible. The first thing you need to do, one way you can put on humility, clothe yourself in humility, is one, learn how to admit defeat. Learn how to admit defeat. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 10 in verse 1. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might show these my signs before him, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's son what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know that I am the Lord. And Moses and Aaron came in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. So God has already displayed to Pharaoh that he's more powerful than him. God already displayed to Pharaoh that he was more proud, that he was more powerful than him when Moses' rod ate up the rods of Pharaoh's musician. Remember that? When it turned to the serpent? God already displayed there. God had already displayed that he was more powerful than Pharaoh and his gods when he turned the waters into blood. All these things that God had been doing, God had already proved to Pharaoh that he was more powerful, but Pharaoh would not admit it, would he? He kept hardening his heart, saying, I'm not going to let the people go. And God's not wanting to hurt him. And basically what you kind of have here is, you know, the way I kind of picture this, have you ever seen it or had somebody do it before where they've got you pinned down, they got your arm bent behind your back, and if they wanted, they could break your arm, right? And maybe they're threatening to break your arm, they're trying to tell you, you know, say uncle. Okay? Now, why do, you, why do they want you to say uncle? Okay? It's just a humbling thing. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, and I know you've all seen the Christmas story. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a humiliating thing you do to humble somebody. And sometimes you have people that just, they're not going to humble themselves. They're not going to say uncle. They're going to let you break their arm first. And the truth is, you know, God didn't, you know, he's not wanting to do all these terrible things. But if Pharaoh's not going to humble himself, he's going to do it. He is going, you know, and that's why sometimes you just got to admit defeat. You got to yield. You got to tap out is a term that's used today in fighting. And some people, they, they just can't admit defeat. And isn't it amazing when we see, you know, how far people will go and how much they will let themselves get just ripped to pieces. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, for example, look at the backslider. Okay. Your typical saved backslider, God often brings hardships their way, doesn't he? They're just going to keep going, aren't they? God will bring difficult circumstances, trying to get a hold of them. What do they do? They get stubborn. They're not willing to admit defeat. They're not willing to admit that I did the wrong thing. You'll have people, they get out of church and their marriage falls apart. Their family's falling apart. And it's like, why don't you just get right? But no, they're not going to admit defeat. You know why? Because admitting defeat, admitting they're wrong, it means you have to humble themselves, yourself. And they've got too much pride. I can't admit that I did the wrong thing. I can't admit that I made the wrong decision. You see some of these false prophets that are out there who got off on doctrine and they get called out. And what do they do? They double down. No, I'm not going to admit that I'm wrong. No, I, I just proved to you from the scriptures. You're wrong on this. No, I'm not wrong. And what always happens to people? They go farther and farther into false doctrine. What's it like? It's like, it's like God broke one of their arms because they wouldn't say uncle. And then he starts on their other arm too, and he breaks that arm too. And before you know it, I mean, these people are just a mangled pile of meat, and they're still not admitting defeat, and they're preaching stuff like Tyler Doka. Is just, I mean, that guy's just gone off the rails and just farther and farther into deep stupidity to the point that it's embarrassing. I mean, it's, I mean, the guy should be humiliated, but you know what? He's too proud to be humiliated. He's, and he, and he, the stupidity is just pukes forth every week. 
their church is a flop and a failure. Nobody even wants to come to it. But they just keep going. You know why? It's pride. That's all there is to it. All these clowns we see, the guys like Tyler Baker, he's, all these guys still are faithful word rejects. These guys, they can't accomplish anything. They've been humiliated, but yet they continue to double down. And that's what Pharaoh did till finally, I mean, ten plagues, God goes and destroys all the firstborn in the land. And you know what's interesting about Pharaoh? When you see the children of Israel after they leave Egypt, the whole world knew about it. Do you all realize if Pharaoh would have just got the hint when Moses' rod turned into a serpent and ate up, if he just said, all right, y'all can go. I'm not messing with that. You know, he would have lost all those servants. He would have taken a hit. You know, it would have been, it would have been difficult for him. He'd have probably had some people in his kingdom mad at him. But would he have lost his firstborn? Would he have been a laughingstock of the whole world? Would he have died in the Red Sea? Look at all that happened to Pharaoh because he just wouldn't admit defeat. And yet that happens every day with even Christian people. They just will not, they will not admit defeat. They will not admit that they were wrong. And that takes humility. You just got to learn first thing, man. When you get corrected, man, I was wrong. And just confess it and get it right. Because if you don't, if you're just going to refuse to scream uncle, your arm's going to get broken. And then you just continue, your other arm's going to get broken. And it just takes humility to admit defeat and just admit that you're wrong. And I believe, and so one thing you got to do to clothe yourself in humility, be willing to admit defeat. Be willing to admit you're wrong. Secondly, learn to accept punishment when you're wrong. Look what it says in Leviticus chapter 26 in verse 40. It says, If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespass against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that also I have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, and that and if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land. Notice that God made the children of Israel wander through the wilderness because of their sins. They ended up suffering because of the, the many times in Israel they suffered because of the sins of their fathers. And he specifically mentioned here, if they will confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers. And God, what God wanted them to do, God wanted them to admit, you've walked contrary to me, I've walked contrary to you. I've been working against you. He wanted them to recognize that. And he said, if they will, if they will humble themselves, if they would do that, then he would remember his covenant. Then he would give them that land. And one thing that people is just killing people today, get people in trouble. They're just not willing to accept the punishment. When you do wrong, sometimes we got to pay the consequences for doing the wrong thing. Sometimes you got to take that financial hit. Sometimes you might, I mean, it's, there's all kinds of ways God can just nail us sometimes. And we've got to learn to accept it. But what do we see with the children of Israel? When they're wandering in the wilderness, they're complaining all the time. You know what they should have done when they were wandering in the wilderness and things would get difficult? They should have been confessing their sins to the Lord. They should have been apologizing. But no, what did they do? They, they would complain over and over again. And this is another thing, too, that is killing the IFB today. They refuse to acknowledge their sins and the sins of their fathers. It is, it is, this is killing the IFB. Listen, the IFB as a whole is a wonderful thing, and it has been a wonderful thing over the years, but it has gotten some things wrong. It has made some severe mistakes, and it's like they can't figure out what it is, and they refuse to admit these mistakes, and, be, and they're suffering as a result of these things. You look at just some of the, the scandals and things that's going on in some of these churches, the sex scandals and things, and it's like... People, you know, nobody asks, why do these things happen? Why is this so common in the IFB world? You know, why is it that child molestation is not just in the Catholic Church? It's in the Baptist churches too. And there's a lot of reasons for it. But I think one of the reasons too is 
they have just gotten way too involved in the family where their families are in the church seven days a week like we were talking about last week. They got their kids in the Christian schools all week and they're, you know, this, this is not something that God intended. They are doing things that were never what God designed the church for. So a lot of their different programs and things they have that is not what God intended and there's been some unintended consequences as a result. But they refuse to admit they're wrong. They, and then... What do they do? They have their conferences, and they're always talking about going back to the old paths, going back to the old paths, meaning 1970s. And they, will, they refuse to admit anything was wrong. And then whenever a preacher does come along and say, you know what? The previous generation had this wrong. They run these guys through the ringer. I mean, Bob Gray Jr., he's a good example of a guy who's fixed some things that the previous generation had wrong in his church. He's actually tried to fix some things. And I listened to Keith Gomez get up one time and he didn't mention him by name, but I knew he was talking about him. And he's like, you know, I'm not apologizing for anything my forefathers did. I'm thinking, well, you need to be more like the children of Israel or like God wanted the children of Israel to be. You ought to be more like Daniel, who when he prayed, he confessed the sins of his fathers. Daniel recognized we are in captivity because of the sins of our fathers. And he confessed them. Ezra, when he prayed, he confessed the sins of his fathers. This was something that God called them to do. That when your fathers mess up, when you mess up, confess it. Admit these things and so you can get it right. But we've got the IFB today. They're saying, don't you dare confess anything that our forefathers... And just because we say the previous generation did something wrong, it doesn't mean we hate them. It doesn't mean we say that they were bad guys or false prophets. They were great men of God. They loved the Lord. They did the best that they could, but they got some things wrong. And the Lord has revealed these things. And we ought to confess these things so we don't have to keep paying the consequences for it. But, you know, they're not doing it. And then here they are. Their churches are suffering as a result of these things. And they're just not willing to accept it. And here they are. They are in a state where they are just dead as a doornail. Nothing is happening, and they're just, but they're just going to stand still, stick by the old, stick to the old path, and we're not moving. But yeah, the problem is we're not supposed to just be. Not, we're supposed to be going forward. Yeah, congratulations, you're not moving. You don't think you're going backwards, but the truth is you're going nowhere, and you're getting no place fast. You know, and the truth is, you know, and I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Revival is not something that we just sit around and wait for. We are not supposed to sit around and wait for revival. Okay, That was what they did in the book of Acts when they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And He came. We have Him inside of us. If we're going nowhere, you know what? It's because we are not right with God. It's because something is wrong with us. It's because we are being punished. And you know what we need to do? We need to accept that punishment. And we need to ask for forgiveness and we need to move forward. But that takes humility. It takes humility to admit I was wrong and to take that punishment. And many people today, they won't do it. And God wanted them to do that in Israel. God wanted them to realize y'all are in this wilderness for a reason. You know, y'all y'all have been going through this for a reason. It's high time you admit it. Stop complaining about it and take your punishment like a man. Confess your sins. God doesn't just punish us. <clears throat> just for the sake of punishing us. He's trying to teach us something. And if we're not going to learn, then he's got to keep punishing us. And that, and yet, we're seeing that today. People just getting punished, but they're just not going to admit it. But you know what? You need to admit defeat, accept the punishment, and move forward. Another thing you need to do to clothe yourself with humility is you need to acknowledge your dependence on Christ. Look what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee. And he suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know 
that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. So notice here how God is mentioning how he humbled them. One of the ways that God humbled them is by feeding them manna. You say, well, now how is that humbling them? I'll tell you why. Because there is no pride in eating manna. Okay? Now, how many of you ever before ever grown your own garden? Okay? Don't your own vegetables taste better? You know, aren't you always proud to serve a meal with your vegetables that you grew with the work of your own hands? Yeah, I grew that. I just, you know, we're all, we're all proud of that, right? It just, it does. It tastes better when it's from your garden. And there's, there's a sense of accomplishment. There's a sense of pride that we often get from that. But when every day you're going out and picking up manna off the ground that God left there for you, you know, I mean, that's about as welfare as you can get right there. I mean, and that, that was all they had. They're in a wilderness. They're in a desert land. And they are 100% dependent on God. And then notice, too, he also mentions how their clothes didn't get old that they were wearing. You know, isn't, don't we like, you know, we often take pride in our clothing, don't we? You know, we like to wear newer clothes, wear the latest fashions, all these things. They wore the same clothes for 40 years. But it wasn't because, you know, it was just high quality material they were using. Okay? This was a miracle that God did for them. You know, they weren't saying, you know, these, you know my, this suit lasted 40 years because, you know, it's, I don't know, I don't know brands. It is Hagar, Hagar. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, just free commercial for them right there. But, um, you know, it wasn't because of that. It was a miracle that their clothes were still good, showing once again that folks, if it wasn't for God, you would be naked in this wilderness. Clothes don't last for 40 years, but yours did. You would be started, You would be dead if it were not for God intervening, intervening and helping you out. And God did this to them to humble them. So when they went into that promised land, so when they had that land that was flowing with milk and honey, that good land, God wanted them to always know, hey, you know why you're in this good land here? You know why you're being blessed right now? Because I didn't kill you in the wilderness. Because I brought you out of Egypt all by myself. I fed you in the wilderness for 40 years. I kept you alive. I kept you sheltered. I did all these things. And don't you forget it because God didn't want them being lifted up with pride. Because look what it says in verse 10. Because God's talking about when you get in that land. And he said, and when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he giveth thee, hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up. And thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So God did this for 40 years to make it really hard for them whenever they are being blessed to forget what they came from. And, you know, I am thankful for, you know, what I would consider some of the humbling years that I've gone through. Even here, pastoring this church, you know, it, and, and a lot of people don't realize this, but I think if you understood where I came from, like where I came from in the preacher world, you know, there was a status to being a full-time pastor. And if you had, if you were like a bivocational pastor, you were just kind of second class, right? That was the world I came from, or you just didn't have very much faith. And so when you started a church, you were supposed to raise support because, um, you know, you got to be full time. We don't want to be second class. The problem is it's hard to raise support as a church planner in the United States. And I, I raised a little bit, not very much, not, not near as much as I needed to, but I thought this church was just going to take off. You know, I thought we were going to be doing like we're doing now after a year. That, that was what I thought. And it didn't happen that way. It just, it didn't happen. You know, and I thank the Lord for all the folks he gave us right at the beginning that came and were faithful, but there just weren't enough. You know, it takes, 
takes a lot of people to support a church and to support a pastor. And, you know, when I, you know, my dad's church, they continued my salary for the first six months. And after that six months came, man, we weren't running a hundred. You know, the church wasn't ready to pay me a full-time salary and I had to start looking for a job and I had to get a full-time job. And I've been working all these years. And let me tell you, it was, it was pretty humbling at first. I had to go back to working at a Walmart distribution center like I had worked at before. And I'm just like, you know, am I being judged by God? You know, <laughs> that's kind of how I felt sometimes. And, and it was kind of a humbling thing. I kind of felt like I was very second class. And, you know, and over, and over time, you know, the Lord gave me peace. But, you know, there was, it, it didn't, wasn't like I thought, you know. Pastored a very small church for a really long time. Working a full-time job. You know, getting paid an amount of money that, you know, most people would laugh at. All right? And, you know, just, that's just how, that, that's how it was. But you know what? I think I did it long enough that now that I'm about to go full-time, I don't think I'm ever going to forget what it was like and what God brought me out of. And I've been pastoring long enough now, too, to know that this church is not where it's at because of Tommy McMurtry. You know, it's where it's at because of the Lord. And, you know, had we had what we have now after the first year or two, you know who I'd have probably given credit to? Me. You know, I thought, man, you know, this, this church plant stuff's easy. I thought it was easy after the first week. We had such a big crowd the first week. We had people, you know, they, that got saved right that first week ready to get baptized. I was like, man, this is easy. You know, but no, it, it, no, it, it wasn't that easy. Those first people we got saved, a couple months later, were cussing me out. Went back to the Catholic Church. You know, they were our first baptisms and everything. Man, I was like, this is, isn't as easy as I thought. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was very humbling. But, you know, I'm, I, I've seen it before where you have some of these pastors, their churches take off right from the get-go, and they are full of themselves. They are not clothed with humility. I mean, they are clothed with pride. I mean, it's, it's inside their suit, pride. You know, that's a, just, uh, you know, it, that, that, that's what they're wearing. And that's not cool for a Christian. But, you know, I, I like to think that I sure hope because I don't, you know, I don't want to go through more wilderness or anything like that. But I like to think that, you know, I've been through enough, I've been humbled enough that I will never forget, you know, what it took for us to get here. And it was God. It wasn't me. And I don't have this. I'm not going to have this attitude, man. This piece, I'm going to go try this again somewhere. I don't want to try to do it again. You know, I'm thankful what the Lord's given me here. I want to stay here. Uh, you know, I want to, but I, I don't. I, I don't think I'll ever take the people in our church for granted. I sure hope I don't. And God, after having them go through that wilderness for all those years, you know, it actually did last for a long time. When we read the book of Joshua, you know, after the book of Joshua, it mentions that they followed the Lord. During the entire life of Joshua and all the elders that outlived Joshua. Israel followed the Lord during that time. But you know what? Eventually, they forgot. They forgot their dependence on Christ. They forgot how God brought them through the wilderness. How God had humbled their fathers. They forgot it. And so later, God had to do it again. And God ended up sending them to captivity in Babylon, humbling them again. They lost their temple that at one time was an admiration of the world. A time that Jerusalem was a place that kings would come and queens, they would travel there just to see the magnificence of that temple, to see the magnificence of that kingdom. And now they are walking away slaves, being demanded that they sing a song by those who had taken them captive. But they're like, how should we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And for 70 years, they're captives in Babylon. God, God was humbling them, and finally they got to a point where they did. They got the message. You know, they got the message, and God brought them back to their land. But, you know, we need to make sure we never forget our dependence on Christ. You know, we don't want to go getting a few dollars in the bank and thinking, man, we're all, we're all good. You know, we're all secure. No, every week we need to be dependent on Christ. Oh, you know, we've got a bunch of people in the church now. You know, no, you know, the pastor's full time. No, let's stay dependent on Christ. Let's never forget that. We've got to acknowledge that. We need to let everybody know that. We better never brag 
about anything that God is doing here. We better not get lifted up with pride. If we somebody, see somebody else that's struggling, we shouldn't go like, you know, you need to read my book that I wrote showing how to do it. No, listen, we struggled too. We've been, we've been humble too. And we need to make sure we get the message. And just the message is we're dependent on Christ. And if we get out of line with him, if he decides to take his hand off what's going on here, we're done for. That's all, that's all there is to it. We are done for if the hand of God goes away from this church. And that takes humility to admit that. It takes humility. We need to acknowledge that dependence on Christ and be okay with the fact that we are dependent on Christ. Be okay with the fact, yeah, we were humbled, you know, but God's exalting us now, but I'm not going to forget how he humbled us because he was trying to get a message across, and that is that we need him. We must never, ever, ever forget that. Don't start to think we did this on our own. Don't be too proud to ask for help. Second Chronicles 7.14, if, uh, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. Will I, uh, forgive their sins. Will heal their land. We've got to humble ourselves. We, we cannot. We can't be too proud to ask for help. We ought to always be going to God for help, saying, "Lord, we need you." Lord, we you know we want to accomplish some things this year. Lord, you know we want to get this new building. We need your help. Lord, we want to get, get some more souls saved this year than we saw last year. We need your help. We we need you to do a work. We need you to provide opportunity. We need you to open doors. We need you to send the laborers. We need you to do these things. We need you to build the church. Because we are powerless without you. And you, we, we, you, know, we, we would, you would think that saved people would be the best at this. Because isn't humility necessary when it comes to salvation? Because what does it say in Matthew 18, verse 3? And he said, and said Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children. Ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, children, they have no problem acknowledging their dependence on mom and dad. They are, my kids are constantly, you know, my younger ones that don't have jobs yet are constantly, you know, begging for food, begging for this, begging for that. Just, you know, they, they know they're dependent. They, you know, they're so broke they didn't have a wallet. You know, I mean, they actually Kelly has fifteen dollars right now. She got it for her birthday too. You know, I'm gonna have her take us out to eat tonight. But she's she's got more money. Well, I, I, I was gonna say she has more money than I do in my wallet, but actually her money's in my wallet right now. I told, I saw that the other day. I was like, where did I get that? I forgot. I was holding her money. But kids are dependent, aren't they? They get that. They have no problem asking for things. Okay. Now me, I would be ashamed. I'd be kind of embarrassed to go to my dad right now. And say, hey, uh, Dad, can you buy me some McDonald's? I'm hungry. <laughs> I haven't got any money. I'd be kind of embarrassed. It's like, hey, you know, you're 38 or 39. You ought to have this doubt at this point. I'd be ashamed to do that. But, you know, when it comes to our salvation, we're 100% dependent on Christ. And many people have too much pride to realize that. They want to think, well, I got this. Or, you know, it's owed me because I did this. You know? But it's 100% dependence, and we have to humble ourselves to do that. You have to humble yourself to call upon the Lord for salvation. Just trusting in Him completely, you know, without the knowledge of everything in the Bible, without knowing that all the secrets of the universe, without having all understanding, it takes some humility to do that. And many people, they have too much pride to do that. They're, they're, they're way too proud, but... When we got saved, it's because we acknowledged our dependence on Christ. We admitted, I can't do this myself. I need God. So as Christians, you would think we would be accustomed to just being dependent on Christ for things. And we need to make sure we do that. But even saved people can lose their humility. We can't lose our salvation, but we can definitely lose our humility. And we can forget that we were purged from our own sins. And we can start getting lifted up with pride and we can become useless for the cause of Christ. Thankfully, we won't lose our salvation, but we can become useless. Our church could become a completely useless church. Do you realize a lot of the churches that are out there today are just wasting space? Do you realize a lot of the churches that are in this community are good for nothing except turning people off to church and to the things of God? They're good for nothing except changing what it means to be a church. That's what these fun centers are doing. 
Right? Not only are they good for nothing, they're actually doing damage. That could be us if we're not careful, where we're actually doing more damage than anything by continuing to be here. And so I don't want that. I, I want our church to actually be accomplishing something. So we need to be a church that is dependent on Christ, and we shouldn't be too hum- we shouldn't be too humble for that. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be so proud that we're not able to just say, you know, we want to see something happen, church. But we we got nothing to do. We, do except pray about it and just pray that God helps us out. That's kind of how we are in this building situation right now. There's at this point, there's really nothing that we can do. Is there? We're, we're just kind of waiting on God, aren't we? And you know what? I'm okay with that. I know what I want. You know, we know what we want as a church, but we also understand there's only so much that we can do. We need God to do something. And so we're, we're waiting on him. And you know what? If God does what we want, great. If God doesn't do what we want, great. That's the way I look at it. But we need to remember our dependence on Him, and we don't need... And folks, if God gives us what we're trying to get, let's remember it was Him that did it. Do not think that it was about us. So turn over to Psalms 34, verse 1. This is another way that we clothe ourselves with humility, something that's necessary... Uh, to be humble, is we need to give glory to God. We need to make sure we're giving Him credit and everything. It says in Psalm 34, 1, uh, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. And we could say so much just about this passage. I, I love this. But it says, oh, magnify the Lord. You ought to be making a bigger deal about God. We ought to be trying to make God look bigger, not us. We should we should be exalting the name of Christ, making the name of Christ known. We should be about making our own name our own name known. And the Bible says when we do that, when we make our boast in the Lord, the humble will hear thereof and be glad. Now I think a great example of this too is when it comes to soul winning. You know, there's some people out there that would rather hear us say, Hey, if you want to go to heaven, you just need to be a good person. You need to be a church-going individual. You need to have be a moral person, doing the best you can. You know, just giving all the. You know who wants to hear that? The proud. They want to be able to be like that rich young ruler and say, "Yep, check, 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 done it all. That's me." But you know, the humble, when they hear us boasting in the Lord, telling people, "I'm going to heaven," just because I put my faith and trust in Christ. I'm going to heaven just because salvation's free. I'm going to heaven and I can never lose that salvation because it's free, because God keeps his promises, because it's his work that gets me into heaven, not my own work. It's him that keeps me saved, not not myself. The humble hear that and they're glad. The humble hear that and they want to get saved. And that's why we make our boast in the Lord because the humble are going to hear that and they're going to be glad. You know, the last thing the humble out there want to be a part of is a group of hot shots out there just exalting themselves. You know, we've got the greatest church in town because we're the most awesome people in town. You know, they don't want to hear that because if they fall for that, they're going to think, well, man, if they're actually humble, I'm not going to fit in good in that church. They're not going to want to be a part of it. But, you know, humble people... They like hearing people praise the Lord. They like hearing about those who are dependent on the Lord because, you know, they could do that too. Hey, I can't be, you know, that rich person. I can't be that person that gives all the money. I can't be, you know, I don't maybe have the charisma. I don't have the personality to maybe be this great soul winner. I'm not very eloquent. I can't do this. I can't do that. But you know what I can do? I can be dependent on God. They're glad to hear that kind of thing. And that's why we're supposed to be glorifying God. Us glorifying God, it brings us down. But you know what it does? It does attract the humble. And aren't those the ones we're trying to get saved? You know, the, pro- the proud, we're going to let the Lord deal with them. God, deal- God deals with the proud. God takes care of them. But we need to be giving glory to God. The humble should hear of and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord. Let us exalt His name together. Let's as a group... Figure out what we can do to make God look better and to make a big deal about Him and not ourselves. Those who, have, those who are humble, they have no problem you know, giving credit where credit is due. 
that you know they're they're fine with that. They don't mind. Praise the Lord. It says in Proverbs sixteen verse eighteen, it says pride goeth before destruction, and an haughty spirit before a fall. Better is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. So we see there that you know there might be some good things you can give to the proud, but you know it's better to be with the lowly and be humble than to be dividing the spoil. You know, we're defeating everybody. We're accomplishing everything. But with the proud, because you know what? The proud is going to be destroyed. Eventually, the proud is going down. And so we're not going to do that. We're going to, we're going to remain with the humble. So Matthew chapter 23. I'm just going to go through these, some of these things quickly. But another thing you don't want to do, don't go exalting yourself with titles. Right? Matthew 23 verse 8. It says, but be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren, equal. You know what everybody hates, every brother or sister hates, is when their other brother or sister tries to tell them what to do. You can't do that, you're my brother. Right? And it's just everybody kind of knows, you know, brethren are equal. So, what, you know, what do, what do kids do? Well, they kind of like to create ranks too by age, right? I'm the oldest, you know, they, they, they're always trying to find some way to pull a rank, right? And usually age is about all they've got. Okay, and and so the thing is, though, once you hit adulthood, the age thing doesn't really matter that much anymore. But sometimes we still have that, you know, we have that childlike sin nature that's in us where we still want to create ranks and show where we're better than everybody. So what do we do, you know, we make up titles and that's huge in the religious world. But Jesus said not to do that because he said, all ye are brethren. He's saying you're all equal with each other. So don't don't be you know uh, calling yourself rabbi or master or rabbi. He says in, and he said, "Call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted." So the last thing we need to be doing is trying to just create all these titles. And just creating ranks in the church and us being like the Masons where we've got like 33 degrees and 33 steps. And it's like, you know, you got to we're going to we're going to create levels of membership in the church. Now, folks, there is only one reason in the world for us to do something like that. And that is to just feed our ego. That's, that's it. And is that what we're supposed to be about as Christians? No. So, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're not going to come up with the 33 degrees of. Liberty Baptist Church members. You know, we're going to do 34 just to show we're better than that. We're going to have an even higher level. You know, we're not, we're not going to do that. That's foolish. And we're not, we're not going to come up with all these titles. Because these titles specifically, too, you know, they were, they, you know, they were specific titles that show one is better than the other or outranks the other. Like rabbi, master, you know, father. So... You know, it's, you know, and I've heard people say, well, you shouldn't do pastor either. Well, the thing is, pastor is not necessarily this exalted title. Where I'm like, you know, this Lord over you, because the Bible specifically says we're not lords over God's heritage. We're in samples of the flock. OK, that's just a, what I do. OK, so it's no different than if where you work, you're called a custodian or something like that. That's just that's just what you do. That's just your job. And the role of a pastor is not like this supreme title of authority. In the name, the, the name pastor and shepherd are the same thing. We're just supposed to be an example, feed the flock. And here's the, here's the difference too, because I personally do not believe in this idea uh, that a pastor is a dictator. I, I don't believe that. I believe a pastor is a shepherd. A shepherd leads from the front. A dictator leads from the back with a gun pointing at you. Okay, a shepherd... They're they're in they're on the front lines. They've got the sheep behind them who are willingly following them. But that dictator, he's got to force everybody to follow him, you know, under threat of death or whatever he's got. I, I I'm not interested in that. Okay? If I wanted to be a dictator, I'd be in the government. You know, I could probably get more money that way and more power that way. I'm not going to the church for that. That's uh, it's not worth it. That'd be, that'd be a waste of time. So. You know, but but either way, I I have no problem if people in church call me brother Tom. You know, Pastor McMurtry is kind of a mouthful. You know, if people call me in the church brother Tommy, I'm fine with that. 
The Apostle John, if he said, I who am your brother and companion in tribulation, if he called himself a brother, if he wasn't, you know, then, I, I mean, he was an apostle. You know, I, man, if I was an apostle, I'd probably want to be called apostle. Because, you know, that's pretty high ranking, right? He gave first some apostles, you know, and, you know, that, I mean, that definitely outranks pastor, right? But, you know, even John didn't make a big deal about that. John, the beloved disciple. Now, what does that mean? The, if he's the beloved disciple, that means he's the one that Jesus loved most. I mean, right, right there, that's something. But he, did he call himself that? Did he demand everybody else call himself that? No. You know why? Because John was humble. And that's probably one of the reasons Jesus liked him so much. Because Jesus tends to gravitate towards those who are more like him. And Jesus was humble. Jesus was the ultimate example of humility. So I think, there, I think that's probably a reason for that. But another thing, the way we clothe ourselves with humility, we don't try to bring others down by judging them in, a, in the wrong way. Okay, look at what it says in James chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Do you think the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn. That takes humility. And weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, why does he bring that up here? Because isn't that the way we try to exalt ourselves? Isn't that not the easiest way to exalt yourself is to bring other people down? You know, to find everybody else's faults. Isn't that what people do? Isn't that the way people try to separate chief friends and things? They try to tell them about their other friends, all his faults and all his flaws. What are they trying to do? They're trying to bring those people down in your mind so they can kind of move up the ranks. That's the easiest way to move up the rank is to tear everybody down. It's a lot easier to tear something down than it is to build something up. It's just, it's just a fact. And we, are, we should not be doing that. That right there is a sign of pride. That is not how we clothe ourselves with humility. We should esteem other better than ourselves. That's what we ought to be doing. That, but that takes humility. And so you need to understand, and we're not going to take time to go through these passages, but humbling yourself, that helps even the worst of sinners. Joe King Ahab, because he humbled himself, God ended up sparing him some judgment. King Ahab was probably the worst king that Israel ever had. I mean, the most wicked king, the husband of Jezebel. And the Bible says in 1 Kings 21-25, but there was none like a unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up, and he did very abominably following idols. And he go, uh, According to all the things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard these those words, that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days. But in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. Now this was not Ahab getting saved here. But Ahab did not suffer this evil during his day. He still died later for some other things, but he actually avoided some punishment as wicked as he was just for humbling himself one time. So if humbling will help out somebody like Ahab, you know it's going to help us out. That's, and so we need to make sure we're just always ready to do that. Being humble, it's a safe place. We looked at the verse. It's better to be, you know, um, better is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to, despise, than to divide the spoil with the proud. It's a safe place. We're better off there. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Haughtiness, that's coming right before destruction. Watch out for that. But before honor, 
is humility. If we're humble first, then we will have honor. And we've got to understand that pride, that is one surefire way we can guarantee that you will destroy your life and that we will destroy this church. There's no doubt about it. There is, and there is no reason for us as people who are saved by grace to have any pride. None, none whatsoever. And so when it comes to certain things, there, there's certain things that people expect to see from Christians. You know, we expect to see Christian people physically dressed a certain way, don't we? There's certain things we don't expect to see a Christian person do. We expect to see, a, even the world expects to see a Christian person doing good works. Somebody who claims to be a Christ, they expect certain things from them. And one of the things that all of us ought to be adorning, ought to be clothed in, ought to be one of the first things that is noticed about us as Christians is humility. Be clothed with humility. Be covered with it. That's what that's talking about in the Bible. And if we do that, then before honor comes humility. That means after humility, we're going to have some honor. And I'm okay with that. I, I, I want grace because I mess up. I mess up. And the last thing I want to do when I mess up is get lifted up with pride and then the Lord have to punish me double hard. But if I'm humble about it, I can get grace at that time. And we all know some pretty good things come with grace sometimes. That means I can get some good things even when I'm not doing very good. That's, that's the difference. God hates the proud. He, he hates that proud look. And we, should, we, we need to never forget that. So I hope this was a help and I hope you'll remember these things. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray you'll help us to follow these things, take them to heart. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to always remember what we came from, what you've done for us. Help us to remember how dependent we are on you, Lord. And we thank you for all the blessings you've given. You've been good to us. And we appreciate that, dear Lord. But I pray, uh, Lord, that you will, uh, you'll never let us forget uh, that it's all because of you and that you'll keep us humble. And we pray that we'll... Uh, We'll continue exalting you, and so we won't need to be abased ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and sing our final song.